following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. On your 175th anniversary, uh, I was actually visiting your church on Sunday. I didn't know it was your 175th anniversary. Uh, but uh, you have quite an amazing uh, history uh, of ministry in this city. So what a blessing. Well, um, I'd like to take you to Exodus 32. And before we actually get there, um, I want to give you just a little bit of background from Moses. Now, Moses starts off as a prince in Egypt. And then, uh, 40 years later, God uh, calls him to a different occupation. (laughs) So, after 40 years, he becomes a shepherd. And then, after this career change, he's ready to retire at age 80. And then God calls him to another career change. And so, he becomes a slave. he's, He's... at the top, and then he goes all the way to the bottom and starts all over again. Well, then God calls Moses to be the leader uh, of a nation, uh, to lead his uh, people out of Israel. And so God works out all of human history in order for Moses uh, to be at the right place and the right time in God's plan in human history. And so that brings us to Exodus 32. And what I want to do is just tell the story of Exodus 32 uh, to 34. And so I'm going to go really fast because I only have like half an hour, right? And, okay, okay. Uh, And um, also, I'm going to have to uh, synthesize some of these passages. I've been studying this passage probably more than 20 years. And the reason I actually came back um, to seminary after uh, graduating with my MDiv uh, in 86, uh, 16 years later, I came back because of this passage right here. Uh, Every time I preach in the Bible uh, and went back into the Old Testament, somehow I'd end up back at this passage. And so I think it's really important. So uh, let's just look at uh, Exodus 32.1. So Moses has been up on that mountain uh, for 40 days and 40 nights. And so when he comes down, uh, the people saw that Moses had delayed to come down from the mountain, and they assembled uh, with Aaron and said to him, Come, let us make a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so remember the mountain was smoking and quaking and God came down upon the mountain and there was thunder and lightning and there's the sounds of a trumpet. And so the people are are so afraid that they run for it and they say, Moses, you speak to us. If God speaks to us, we will die. And remember when God spoke the Ten Commandments uh, for the first time, They heard the voice of God, and that was too much for them. And so they told Moses, you uh, be our uh, intermediator between 
uh, us and God. So Moses went up that mountain that was smoking and on fire, and the people probably said, holy smokes. (laughs) Moses has just gone up in smoke. Holy Moses, right? And so they, they say to Aaron, you make a God for us to lead us into the land of Egypt. We don't know what happened to Holy Moses. He went up in holy smoke. And so uh, he says, okay, uh, give me your jewelry. So he throws it into the fire, and he says, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, let me ask you a question. And so this is a very simple question. What was the name of the golden calf? So I'll pause for a second to give you... Anybody know? Don't feel bad. I ask all my seminary students, and they don't know the answer either. <laughs> but it's, it's right here. Can you see it? This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. In case you still don't get it, read the next verse. He said, tomorrow will be a feast to Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh. The name of the golden calf was Yahweh. So they were worshiping God, Yahweh, in their own image. They had just broken the first two commandments. Now, let me give you an, a definition of idolatry. Uh, usually we define idolatry as uh, worshiping uh, something in the place of God, right? Our jobs, money, um, it could be anything. That That is a correct definition, but it's not uh, adequate. So here we, we get a biblical definition of idolatry. Idolatry is the misrepresentation of the one triune God. Idolatry is the misrepresentation of the one triune God. They were worshiping Yahweh in their own image. Uh, many of us uh, do that today. We want God to be made in our image. Uh, I think that's why Paul says in the New Testament, flee from idolatry. Well, most of us usually don't go around worshiping idols. But we do change God into our own image. And that's why theology is very important. Uh, Theology is very important in worship. Uh, Actually, the opposite of idolatry is, is, is worship. And so, um, the better we know God, the better we can worship Him. And so, um, we see that they are worshiping what they think is Yahweh, but uh, they have created the, the greatest sin in Israel at this point. This becomes the archetypical sin of Israel. And so, um, God says to Moses, go down. Your people have sinned. And Moses is going to say, what? Not my people, your people. And so we're going to see this argument back and forth, this this debate with with, uh, God, uh, as 
Moses becomes the mediator between God and Israel. And so um, God is going to use all of Moses' background in uh, his royal palace experience and all of his experience as a shepherd. And so Moses is now becoming a shepherd of Israel. And so he says, uh, They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them, and they have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And so uh, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Behold, they are an obstinate people. Now, then let me alone that my anger may burn and I may destroy them. And Moses, I will make you a great nation. Well, uh, Moses, I don't think, likes that idea too much. And so he's going to begin, uh, in, he's going to begin um, mediating between Israel and God. And so he says, Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt? Not me, you brought out of Egypt uh, with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth. Turn your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Now, uh, God does not have a plan B here. He always has a plan A. He never has any contingencies. So as we're reading this text, it appears like God is changing his mind But really what we are learning in this text is the character of the name of Yahweh, of God. So God's name is uh, I am who I am uh, and what we say Yahweh, okay? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D here. And so what we're going to learn about is that God is not the God of, Yahweh is not the God who destroyed his people in the wilderness, but he is the one who is forgiving them time and time and time again. We're learning about his name. Now, I know most people define the name Yahweh as I am who I am, meaning I was and am and always will be. That may be, that is part of it, but it's not complete. We are learning about the name here in this text, right here, Exodus 32 to 34. He's going to define the name for us. It is forever associated with the Exodus, okay, from now on, and this event in Exodus 32 to 34. Okay, so we're going to learn about who Yahweh is. There is no plan B. It's always been a plan A, okay? So, he says in verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom uh, you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. So what Moses does is he goes back to the promises that God made. Okay. So the Lord changed his mind. He relented. I prefer the translation. um, About the harm which he said he would do to his people. And so Moses actually uh, intervenes, and uh, we see 
the character of God as a result coming out. And so Moses turns down, and he went down from the mountain with the two tablets of stone in his hand, which were written on both sides, and they were written on one side and the other. Now, the two tablets that he brings down, uh, God wrote on those tablets with his own signature. And so uh, Moses, uh, he goes down that mountain, and his anger burned. He had just intervened and uh, intervened for Israel, and we saw the the uh, attributes of God coming out in that intervention. But now Moses comes down, and his anger burns, and he threw the tablets, and they shattered at the foot of the mountain. The covenant uh, is broken. Okay, they have broken the Mosaic covenant, and now God. Uh, can destroy them, as he has said to Moses, okay? But Moses intervened, but Moses' anger burns. All right, so um, he took the calf, he burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it over the water, and Israel drank uh, mineral water. And so uh, Moses says to Aaron, what did this people do to you that has caused such a great sin? And they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. For this man, Moses, holy Moses, he went up that mountain and we don't know what happened to him. And so I threw this into the fire and poof, it came out. Uh, and and um, it's the intention here is that um, Aaron was divinely uh, empowered to uh, craft this calf. So, Moses says, okay, um, you have committed a great sin. I am going to go up to Yahweh. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And so, Moses returned and says, alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a gold, uh, a god of gold for themselves. But now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot my name out from your book. Now, I don't have this in your outline, but Moses becomes an author. And so he is about to write down the law of God. He had just gone up that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was studying law. He was becoming uh, the lawgiver of Israel. And from now on, everybody's going to quote Moses. Okay, so Moses becomes the first graduate of the school of law of Israel. And so he's writing this book, and I believe the blotting out here is the Pentateuch. He says, look, find another Moses for the Pentateuch. Uh, Rashi, uh, an old uh, Jewish scholar, uh, agrees in that respect. Now, he says, uh, the Lord says to Moses, uh, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of the book. But Moses, you're here. You're here to stay. I'm going to use you. But go now. Lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel will go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. <clears throat> and so what Moses is, is doing here is he's saying, um, look, we're not going anywhere without you. And so he's intervening. Again, he's kind of bargaining <laughs> Uh, it appears from our perspective with God. 
But in reality, he is not changing God's mind. He, we, we are seeing the, the attributes of God coming out in this passage. Uh, remember, there is no plan B with God. <clears throat> and so, uh, Moses uh, continues his, his uh, mediation here, and he says, the Lord said to Moses, uh, depart, uh, go up from here, and the people whom you brought from the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will send an angel before you. Now, here's, here's basically the uh, synthesis of the passage. Moses, uh, God says to Moses, go. I'm not going with you. If I go with you, uh, I will end up uh, destroying you because they are an obstinate people. And the question becomes... Uh, the, the question of the burning bush. How do you keep a bush from burning if you set it on fire? How do you keep a bush from being consumed if you set it on fire? It's impossible. How do you keep a holy God from consuming a sinful people? It's impossible. Unless you remove the sin. Unless you remove the sin. Uh, take off your sandals, Moses. This is holy ground. And so uh, somehow they've got to remove the sin from Israel in order for God to dwell in their presence. Okay, so he says, uh, go up. I will send my angel, but if I go, uh, I will consume you along the way. It's the burning bush problem, okay? So he says, I will send the angel before you. So go up to the land with milk and honey for I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people. I might destroy you on the way. So you can see the tension that's going on here between uh, God and Moses and the people. <clears throat> now, um, so uh, the sons of Israel took off their ornaments from Hebrew uh, Horeb onward. Uh, just in case they wanted to make another idol. <laughs> and so... Uh, Moses, in chapter 19, remember he went up the mountain to talk to God, and no one was supposed to come near the mountain. That's the burning bush problem. How do you keep a bush from burning? How do you keep a God from consuming a, a sinful nation? Well, now he goes outside the camp, way outside the camp. And the people are looking at a distance because God is holy. And so uh, Moses used to go to this tent of meeting, <clears throat> And whenever he went, the people would go and see him at a distance and worship at their tents. And the Lord would speak with Moses um, in that tent as a man speaks to his friend. Uh, Moses becomes a friend of God. So God had been preparing him all his life for this event. And he becomes an intimate friend of God. Now, prayer is basically... Uh, talking to God. When we pray, we talk to God. But often we don't listen, right? <laughs> well, Moses is talking to God, praying, and God is talking back to Moses, answer to prayer. It's just spontaneous, like a man speaking to another man face to face. And really, this is prayer. Uh, often we uh, pray, but we don't listen. 
Uh, we don't listen to his word. or We don't listen for the answer to prayer. But uh, Moses is there speaking to God face to face. And so he continues his bargaining with God. He says, he says, see, you say to me, bring up this people, your people, not my people. But you yourself have not let me know with whom uh, you will send me. And so uh, he says, if I found favor in your sight, then give me this next request. Okay. And so he says, basically what he is saying is, sending the angel of your presence is not good enough. I need something more. And so Moses is bargaining for that something more. And so God's answer to that, okay, Moses, my presence will go with you. I will give you rest. Moses says, look, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not lead us up from here. I ain't going anywhere without you. But he's not finished. He still wants more. He's going after something more. <clears throat> For how can it be known that I have, I, found, I have found favor in your sight and your people if you don't go with us? And that way we will be distinguished from all the people on the earth and we will solve this burning bush problem. How do you get a holy God in the presence of a sinful people? So God says to Moses, okay, I will also do this thing which you have spoken because you have found favor in my sight. And you can see the progression in the narrative how God would not go and now he's going uh, with Moses and Moses still wants something more. So he asks God, I pray you, show me your glory. Now, Moses doesn't really understand what he is asking at this moment. He is asking for death. Because God says, no man can see me and live. But God shows compassion on Moses and grace on Moses, and he grants him his request. Uh, one of uh, my students, um, when I was teaching at uh, another university, <clears throat> who was not a Christian, um, he says, why doesn't, if God is real, why doesn't he just show himself? Well, I said, well, that's an easy answer. Uh, he can. And that's the day that you'd be dead. Because God is holy and we are sinful. And if we come into the presence of a holy God, that means we're dead. Okay? And so, this is the problem of the burning bush. How do you get a holy God in the presence of a sinful people? Moses says, show me your glory. God says, you'd be dead. <laughs> you don't know what you're asking, Moses. You're asking for death. He says, but I will be gracious to you. Go hide in the rock. Go hide in the, the cave in the rock. I will put my hand over, and then I'll pass over, and then I'll release my hand. You'll see my back. No man can see my face and live. Now, Moses had just spoken to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Uh, what's the problem there? Um, and here he says, <clears throat> you can't see my face. Well, in the first instance, 
he is speaking to God face to face. He's not looking at God face to face. Okay, and it's a metaphor. Does God have a face? Does God have a back? When God releases his hand, does Moses see God's back? He doesn't. Okay, uh, it's it's a it's a personification. It's using human uh, characteristics to describe God. <clears throat> For God is spirit. But we are going to na- learn about uh, who Yahweh is in this passage. That's where we're headed in this passage. So, in Exodus 34, uh, verse 6. <clears throat> in my opinion, this is the most important verse in the whole Old Testament. And it contains the most important word in the whole Old Testament. And so, Moses goes up that mountain... And he starts calling on the name of Yahweh. And Yahweh descends upon the mountain. And Moses is hiding in that cave in the rock. And God comes down. And he passes in front of Moses. And he proclaims his name. Yahweh. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious. God is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. He keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of the children on the the third and fourth generations. And so... Moses actually doesn't see anything on that mountain, but he experiences the glory of God. He experiences the attributes of God. And so what we are learning here is about the nature of God in this passage. God is compassionate. uh, And the word for compassionate in the Hebrew is uh, the womb. And so God shows compassion as a, a mother shows compassion on the baby that comes from her womb, this intimate relationship a mother has with a child. So God has this compassion towards us. And he is gracious. Uh, The word uh, is the same meaning in the New Testament, grace, uh, but here it's uh, more of an adjective. And so uh, he is gracious. He gives us things that we do not deserve. And he is slow to anger. The word there is erika paim, which means long nose. God has a long nose. I don't know if you knew that, but he has a long nose. It means he has a, a long fuse. He doesn't get angry very quickly. It's like uh, when you're angry or when a bull is angry, his nose flares. Um, and so God is long-suffering. He doesn't get angry very quickly. And then he is abounding in loving kindness and truth. Now, this is a Hindiades. These two words play off each other. Uh, Loving kindness is hesed in uh, the Hebrew. Hesed uh, is its own word. It's it's usually translated uh, faithful love or um, uh, mercy, uh, even grace, but it's its own word. Uh, It's basically... um, 
responsibility in relationships. You, 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 you do hesed with those you have a relationship with. And so this is the reason Moses is arguing for something more with God. He doesn't just want the angel of God's presence to come. He doesn't want uh, even Yahweh himself to come. He wants Yahweh to come in relationship. He wants the covenant renewed. He's not going anywhere without that contract. He wants that covenant relationship of hesed. Because after they break the covenant over and over and over and over again, the only thing they have left is hesed. And so that becomes the formula for covenant renewal. If you, uh, We won't go there, but in Numbers 14 in the spy incident, God says to Moses, Moses, let me destroy them, and I will make you into a great nation. And what does Moses do? He cites this passage word for word. Instead of Yahweh saying it, Moses says, and he says, remember, uh, remember you are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in hesed and truth. And so God forgives them again and again and again. And so what do we learn from this passage? We learn that the name Yahweh is forever associated with this event. He is the God who forgives Israel again and again and again and again and gives them hesed. And so just as the name Jesus, you should instantly associate it with what? The cross, Mount Sinai. Jesus. The cross. That's why so many people are offended at the name of Jesus. They know the salvation history of the name. And just as Jesus is uh, intimately associated with the cross, so Yahweh is forever now associated with the exodus from Egypt. He is their redeemer and his forgiveness on Mount Sinai time and time and time again. And so look what happens. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, there's, two si- there's two sides to, to God's um, attributes. He is a, a just, uh, he is a forgiving God, but he is also just and holy. In uh, verse 7, he keeps hesed for thousands of generations. He forgives iniquity, transgress- transgression, and sin, but he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Uh, the three words for sin there, uh, iniquity, transgression, and sin, are basically, um, you're, you're walking on the road, the law, the Ten Commandments. You step off the road, uh, you transgress, and then you rebel. You say, I will not follow this law anymore. I will not follow this uh, covenant commitment anymore. It's like a, a marriage relationship. Uh, you're married. You're in relationship with your wife. You have the marriage vows. And then you transgress. You get off the road. And then you actually commit the sin. Uh, The sin here is the idolatry with the golden calf. And so uh, he forgives all of the sin, the three stages of sin, and his hesed uh, goes to the thousandth generation. Although he may punish to the fourth generation, the generational sin, particularly in the patriarchal period, uh, may be punished to the fourth generation, but his hesed is to the thousandth generation. So we're learning about who Yahweh is in this passage. And look at the reaction. Moses made haste to bow down toward the earth and worship. 
He says, now if I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go in our midst. And even though the people are so obstinate, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your possession. And look at what God said. Okay, Moses, I'll give you exactly what you want. I am going to make a covenant again with you. And so Moses gets the covenant restored in Israel. The relationship is restored. Moses successfully mediates uh, between God and Israel. And he becomes a a type of Christ in this sense. Christ uh, mediates between God and men and restores the relationship back to the way it it was supposed to be. So um, Moses will come down that mountain with the tablets and his face will be shining because he's experiencing the presence of God. He's reflecting the glory of God, the attributes that we're seeing in this passage. And uh, later, Moses will write in Numbers, Moses was the humblest man in all the earth. Now, if you write, I'm the humblest man in all the earth, you're not humble. (laughs) You don't go around and say, I'm humble, I'm humble. But Moses, in fact, was the humblest man in all the earth because he had experienced the holiness of God. When a sinful man comes into the presence of God, a holy God, you realize the magnitude of your sin. In that respect, uh, Moses was the humblest man in all the earth. So, um, God used Moses. He made him change careers. Uh, He prepared him for what he was going to do with the nation of Israel. And so, um, like Moses, uh, hopefully we all can see the glory of God. And in seeing the glory of God, we will uh, humble ourselves and become like Moses. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are an awesome and holy God. We thank you, Lord, that you have uh, called us to be your children. We thank you, Lord, that uh, your name is awesome. And uh, now we know you by a new name, um, by the name of Jesus Christ. And we praise you, Lord. Uh, we praise you that you are uh, one in essence uh, with uh, all that we read in the Old Testament. And we thank you, Lord, that you have called us and saved us. And now we, uh, like Mount uh, Sinai, have Mount Calvary. And whenever we hear your name, uh, we rejoice and we praise you and we worship you. And we just thank you, Lord. We pray for everyone here that you would uh, bless them with your words and what we have learned about you and your character today. And we give you all the glory in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Garden Room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day. Set you free inside.